Welcome to another RTFN. It's been a while since we had a real episode. Thank you for being patient while we ruined our schedules. Today's episode brought to you by Ratty and Cantati. Games, zines, other cool stuff. R-A-T-T-I-I-N-C-A-N-T-A-T-I dot com. Ships to Canada and America. A rarity. Um, so, so rare. Yeah. We're here. We're back. We're talking I, about Apocalypse Keys. <laughs> we're talking about Apocalypse Keys. Uh, I'm still Aaron King. At Aaron MF King on Twitter, as long as it lasts. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm Max. You can uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can also find me on Blue Sky, where you cannot find Aaron MF King. <laughs> I'm rejected. just... The, I'm done the, with the internet. Has rejected the move, um, and then today we have another Aaron. Other Aaron, <laughs> introduce thyself, and what hi, makes folks. you a unique Aaron? Uh, hi, I'm Aaron Voigt. Um, I'm unique because I um, I do YouTube. I do like tabletop YouTube. Um, that's fun, and I don't know. I'm just mostly a fan of of the RTFM uh, cast. This is like. Uh, like in the '90s when you got to win a special animals prize and you get to meet your two favorite Disney Channel stars, this is a big deal for me. So, <laughs> I do feel like we're Disney stars. That yeah. feels, yeah, just like the. I guess I, I guess Disney isn't quite. We're after hours Disney stars. We're like fucked up B grade Disney stars or something. You could be Nick at night. Is that a thing? I'm not a very good Disney person. I I'm probably even... younger than both of you by ten years, so maybe my references are off. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I can't remember the last time I watched a Disney thing, but I do know that Disney Plus has a weird selection of movies that you don't think are Disney. This is totally off topic, but there's a lot of stuff on there. Uh, like I, I was trying. I wanted to watch a really shitty action movie recently, and I was like, you know, it's a really shitty action movie that I want to watch: The Transporter. Uh, and I was like, which streaming service has the transporter? It's Disney. <laughs> Who could know? <laughs> why Why is uh, Naked Buff Jason Statham on Disney? I don't know. But it's there. Listen, I feel uncomfortable about the monopoly Disney has on all of our nostalgia and media. But, like, it is kind of nice to be able to see Naked Jason Statham sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you can find like... him free on YouTube, though, in that Shaman video. That's, have you that's seen fair. That? You can. Where in the Shaman video, this is finest work. <laughs> No, I'll have, to, I'll have to look that up. Oh, yeah. it's, I will send a link. It's wonderful. The, uh, the added benefit of the transporter is that he is also covered in oil. For a, well, There's one fight where he's covered in oil that is a quite fabulous Canola fight. oil. Yeah, right. That makes canola a difference. Oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're reading Apocalypse Keys by Ray Najati, former guest of the show. Friends this was published in 2022 by Evil Hat Productions. It's a part by the Apocalypse game about being monsters that could end the world and trying to stop the end of the world. Yeah. It's a game. We've been like, I feel like we've been raring up to read this one for a long time, or at least yeah. I have. But monster yeah, season right. has come to this monster season. We're almost done monster season. And also maybe it was just, I was just excited because I ordered the fancy deluxe Kickstarter edition that is all shiny black on matte black cover which is spectacular um this book is 750 million pages i don't 
It's so many pages. Uh, we know how I feel about long books. It's one of them. And all of them are important. They do all seem important. <laughs> I was trying, because I like have been having some attention span issues lately, and so I've been trying to like figure out the best way for me to not just totally burn out on stuff when I can feel my like attention waning. And it doesn't matter what it is, it will wane. And so it's been like a little a little bit of a strug uh, getting through this one because I keep being like, oh, I can just skim this and that I cannot just skim this narrator voice. We could not, in fact, just skim sections of it. They all do seem pretty important. It is a lot of game. It is so much game. Yeah, the thing about uh, Najati, you know, who I know has previously been on this podcast, so shout outs Ray. Um, they're a very, you know, thoughtful and considered writer. And, uh, you know, it's it kind of shows in the text. They, uh, you know, my, my my impression upon reading this game the first time I encountered it was just, like, how deeply personal and, and emotional this game is. And, like, literally every page there's something that's just like, oh, wow, this is this is saying something. <laughs> and you can tell that Najati really, really tried on this one. Yeah, I tweeted this and I was like, listen, we all know how I feel about really long games, but if I'm going to be deep in one, I do I do appreciate that it is in Ray's voice <laughs> that I that I am that I am encountered for so many pages because um, it does feel it does feel quite personal and it does feel quite like apparent like there is a definite voice to the writing of the book which occasionally we talk about um and often I feel like games really try and lack that or try and like avoid that um in favor of being like appealing to the masses or whatever um and this is not that it's like a warm fuzzy hug which it's a warm fuzzy hug where you might be in an abusive relationship yeah (laughs) or uh, i mean losing your memory slowly dissolving the game oh yes okay uh, I just met the book reading is like it's kind of it's not it's not unlike just hanging out with Ray, which is kind of like experiencing a warm fuzzy hug. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the uh, game themes are definitely darker than that. Yeah. Uh there are what, seven playbooks. So you can be a hell monster or the last of an alien species or someone whose powers are surging out of control. You can be a vampire, you can be a, a sort of ghost being. And they all have very strong emotional resonances. Like some, the the one, the surge, the one with these powers they can't control. Uh, and I'm not projecting this. The book expressly calls out, like, "Hey, if you play this one, you're going to be dealing with some stuff about uh, abusive relationships or at least messed up relationship dynamics." Um, yeah, they all have their like emotional touchstones that are very explicitly laid out. Yeah, I, I really love that it's just this straight up like, hey, here's the content warnings that you're going to need to deal with. But, you know, if you're willing to engage with those themes, this is the one for you, you little weirdo. <laughs> right. <laughs> is your jam disordered eating? We got you. It, we got this something is, that is extremely up you. your alley. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Which, to be fair, that's probably, I am, I am playing this Sorry, game this I'm week sure about that. uh i'm playing this game this week and that's probably that might be the one that i choose is the, the hungry um, yeah whatever because i love it i love a i love a, a something that just wants to eat the whole earth or whatever um but it's also really like so there's a bunch of the emotions and i know that um 
Aaron the first, you want to want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, but there's also, I mean, there's a lot of, again, a lot of game, a lot of mechanics, a lot of things happening. The playbooks being the first element of it. But then there's the, um, the whole idea is that you're hunting for doors and it's a mystery game really at its core, right? Like it's an investigatory mystery game. You're not just looking for any doors. I think we should make that clear. Yeah. (laughs) Where is, how do I get into the house? Um, (laughs) Please make that. Why aren't, why aren't parody games a thing? (laughs) Why don't we, have we not gotten big enough in RPGs that we can make parodies of bigger games? Cause that would be great. That's like the whole sprinting owl design ethos. Uh, well, dear Sprinting Owl, please give us the game where you're just looking for any door. Um, these are doors to the apocalypse, kind of? Yeah. Har- they're, they are, on the other side of them is a harbinger of, harbinger of said apocalypse, and you're trying to get there before they do so that you can control it a little bit and without becoming your own, your own harbinger. Uh, every time I say Harbinger, I'm convinced I'm saying it wrong. Just as if you hear me pause before I say it, I'm just always convinced that I'm saying it wrong. Um, and I don't know why that is or what my brain thinks is the right way to say it. But here we are. Um, yeah. And then you hunt for, you're hunting for these doors and you have to pick up keys on the way. Um, and keys are like your little mystery bits. Um, that you connect. So every mystery has like a series of facets of it. Uh, and these are elements that are kind of pre-written, predetermined. And then when you grab keys, there are these like little narrative moments that you can tie to these facets, uh, that help you as the players craft what you think is going on. My understanding is that this comes from the between. This is the mechanic from the between Brindlewood Bay. It's the same mechanic in both of them, I think, but I think it, I don't know, whatever, one of those, um, where, players all collectively come together to determine what they think is happening and then they roll and that roll lets you know whether or not they're bang on or totally off which is to be honest one of my favorite mechanics in rpgs of all time having played that single mechanic but not yet apocalypse keys um both like I don't know. I wanted. I want to GM one of these games that does this because I love the idea, and this is kind of in the advice in the book as well. But like, I love the idea that you don't need to know what's happening uh, because the players get to determine what's happening and get to come up with theories, and so you don't have to have this like answer to why everything's fucked in the way that it's fucked. Like, you can just be like, "Here's a bunch of weird shit that's happening. You figure out what that means." <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> uh, which I love. I think it's clever. I think it's like a very cute. I don't know. It's been one of the more fun actual mechanics to like fully interact with as a player for me. Uh, Aaron, the second, have you, you've played this game, right? Have you played this game? See, you never established which one of us is second. the second. Yeah. See, that's, I'm just, I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to switch it up every time. There's Next no time it's going to be Aaron the 12th. Yeah. Mm, I know, I know Aaron King has not played this game. <laughs> Uh, I have not. No, I've only ever read it, and and when I read it for the the essay I did on it, I only really got through the playbooks and and basic mechanics because, uh, like Max, I was like, this book's too long. <laughs> um, not not too long, but it's too long for me to read the whole way through and get a video out in two weeks because I have YouTube brain. Um, but yeah, no, I you know it is it is truly just like a very dense piece of media, and you know it, it seems like something that I'd really like to. You know, engage with more fully. I, I 
that's why I'm excited to talk about it here because like there's so much other stuff that I didn't touch on in my essay. Yeah. What were your, should we avoid? I haven't, I should have, I should have. Yeah. Go listen to the essay. YouTube.com slash. Here's where you say it. Uh, wow. <laughs> YouTube did a thing where they changed their shit. Um, it's at A-A-V-O-I-G-T, I believe. Um, if you just search Apocalypse Keys, you'll see something that says Apocalypse Keys, A Desperation to Belong. That's me. Um, it's a good one. If, if you are if you are ex-Catholic, you'll like it a lot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I really liked how this, this every single playbook is super sad. Um, and I think that's important to understand. There is so much, there is so much sadness. I think it's funny because the game like kind of frames itself as being like inspired by things like Hellboy, which for sure have a lot of sadness in them. But to me, they also have like a lot of humor and a lot of like gruesome, just kind of like over the top. Like there is like a little bit of campiness to those kinds of things. And lots of uh, skulls, gravestones. Yeah. In like a almost Elvira adjacent way. Yeah, and this doesn't carry that for me. Uh, or it didn't when I was reading it. I think that, like, that obviously humor will always come out in play. Um, but it is, it is, it felt much more, like, sadder and emotional. And, like, not even just, like, emotional in the serious realm of emotions more than, like, the frivolous realm of emotions. Like, not just here are a bunch of emotional emotions that are ever-present, but, like, more leaning towards the hard emotions than than the really than the easier happy ones or whatever i don't know if everybody else read that into it but that's what i got while i was reading it i was like oh everybody's sad well like emotions are like a critical part of of the game right like that's your hit points mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you can get so horny that you die like, <laughs> that's that's important to forefront that's a selling point yeah yes the the hit point thing is interesting because it's just like you can you just take conditions, right? There is no hit points. There are no there is no because repeated many times throughout the book is like these characters are supernaturally powerful. They are extremely powerful. This isn't about them being like hurt in a way that would be threatening to a standard human. This is about like the way in which their emotional spectrum kind of and their their relationship to their emotions kind of brings them closer and farther away from the breaking out points. of control. Yes. The breaking, yeah. it's literally the breaking point. That's yeah. much better. It's a much better. And I guess we should that. say too, that um, unlike a lot of PBTA games here, the best result is in the middle. Yeah. Uh, is it eight to 10? Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Eight to 10 is a kind of the best success seven or less is pretty bad 11 or higher is like you have lost control um you have used your powers too hard and you might be causing collateral damage or calling upon forces you can't control um and so the whole game is about like finding a happy medium um and trying not to feel too hard or too bad trying not to rush into those relationships hard enough that you break them and trying not to break the world. But also it's like 
you gotta you gotta have relationships you gotta have friends because yes. that's what grounds you that's what gets you those bonds to bring you that back down after those darkness tokens you know get you all all horned up and you can there are other feelings than horny just to make it clear <laughs> i guess technically yes but there could be if, if you really felt you needed to but why uh, it's funny because like yes there was there's so much like comment on kissing like there's a chapter title that is like i almost called this apocalypse kisses right uh <laughs> which uh it's in there and and i think i was only like i don't know i was only only resonating with the sadness which might say more about me than uh the book uh well you're not an ex-catholic so you were allowed to be horny when you were young mm, yes mm-hmm. horny is not a bad feeling for you <laughs> yes uh, I mean, I'm a trans, so horny is a complicated, sometimes right. weird feeling. But right. uh, the <laughs> also, just some people, sometimes boundaries are good, and when you grow up without boundaries, sometimes things are bad. But, uh, <laughs> but that is the I think that's it's like I think that's the opposite of Catholicism. But I'm not an expert enough to say that, so I will. Catholicism is all boundaries. Yeah, I was like, so I think yeah, it's just all boundaries. I'm the opposite. I am. I am the naked kid who's running screaming through the water park or whatever. Uh, straight into hell. Running straight into hell. Straight into hell. Well, yeah. I mean, or straight from hell. Came right out of it. Yeah. Is there, do you feel like the mechanics, do we feel like we need to, we need to like summarize more of the mechanics? I feel like the, it, it's not like, other than the blending of that mystery mechanic. Um, cause that's the part that like is strong for me or is like John ruin at all. Oh yeah. It exists. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I was playtesting a different game that had ruin that named this as a, as a inspiration. And, but I realized that because I was playtesting it before I read apocalypse keys, my brain has now attached ruin to that game. That's <laughs> like a precursor to this. I'm like, whatever. Um, but yeah, ruin. Shit gets bad. <laughs> you take you take ruin as you approach. You have five points, right? Five, five. I, I believe so. Ticks. And then and then the breaking point happens, and each uh, each playbook has a different breaking point move, which like takes you out of the game, right? Again, four hundred pages trying to run run around in my noodle. Uh. Does it always take you out of the game? It doesn't take you. Does it always take? You? I don't know. I know. I re- at some point I was like, I read a thing that was like, and then you're out of the game. <laughs> I think that's right. Like it's kind of like you know it, the equivalent of you know being you know unconscious or, or down or whatever. But like you you get to this emotional point where you there's like where it says it explicitly in I'm trying to find an example in that like breaking point move. But like for what what playbook is this? Uh, this one's the last um, so like your breaking point when you hit your breaking point which is that you get all four of your conditions marked um, you've barely been able to keep the grief and anger at bay uh, describe how you will make everyone and everything around you pay for what happened to your people and how you go too far so like you kind of get taken out of the game in that you kind of lose it and you know lash out and, and a lot of I feel like a lot of this game is about lashing out because um you know you're you're not you're not feeling good and you're you're very sad or angry or horny or whatever and 
you know this is this is your breaking point where you can't control it and like like you were saying max like this is this is a game where like you can't like you know you are too strong to actually be actually you know physically hurt so when when you reach your emotional breaking point you know you 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 lash out you you're not really able to help your other division you know teammates and then you you mark your points of ruin which like you know again kind of feeds into how i feel about this game like being like kind of a tragedy because like eventually right you it's like i'm not sure if it this the game says it explicitly but like the the end state for your character is you turn into like you know a hell spawn yeah so if you fill the ruin meter you get a ruin advance a special move or another thing you know sometimes it's a special move sometimes it's like you permanently mark a condition uh that are like apocalyptic like you're drawing again you're drawing on those powers too much um and then if you ever get nine ruin advances you become a harbinger you become a monster that's trying to bring on the end of the world then you're probably out of the game for real you're you become an npc um so yeah the conditions and ruin are both things that tick up they both (laughs) can be bad if you get too much but you can like take them back down, right? You can take ruin back down. Maybe not. Maybe again. You can uncheck a condition by you know hanging out with your buddies or processing things. I don't think you can lose ruin. I, I mean, don't think sense. so either. That makes sense. I appreciate this as a person whose biggest game also just has people retire to their bad behaviors. Like that's a <laughs> that is how himbo's end ends. Also, it's yeah. like you just keep taking conditions, and then eventually you retire because you're no longer capable of being a nice guy uh so i appreciate i obviously am in favor of consequences that are not death uh because i think death i think we said this before but like death as a consequence is like pretty boring um for games i feel uh and that and is not like to me it doesn't inspire like creative choices of avoidance or of proximity right like when you're close to death i don't feel like that really inspires like super creative and inventive choices whereas being like ah you are close to hurting everyone you care about or whatever feels much more compelling which is funny because i know we've like i've joked about this before but like can i play a serious game who knows so like i say is more compelling and then i'd probably play this game and be like "Hmm, feelings make me awkward bye (laughs) um (laughs) we'll see shout out sorry sorry in advance thursday game uh i'm just weird or i'll just lean directly into the horn uh but yeah i it is i feel like aaron king you wanted to talk a little bit about games that like kind of dictate your emotional state or really like mechanize emotions do you have some you had some thoughts uh, I don't have I think I brought it up because it is something I think about but it's nothing you know one I don't want to be like games that mechanize emotions that tell you how I feel are bad and I don't want to see say that like games that refuse to mechanize that stuff are bad you know it's just um, it is a spectrum and I encounter I personally often don't seek out games that say, as a result of a role or some other chance thing, your character will feel something. You know, I am more 
used to games where the outer uh, catalysts are mechanized and then you are defining how your character feels about that. Uh, like emergent emergent emotional narrative versus mechanized emotional narrative. Um, but also, like, we had a great couple sessions of Thirsty Sword Lesbians that does the opposite of that. Like, I have enjoyed the games that I play that do that. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it was not a... I brought it up as a thing I'm thinking about with no conclusion. Um, I wonder if I can ask you all, because for me, you know, I, I'm a big baby. So, like, <laughs> when I play tabletop games, I, I bleed real bad. I, you know, if, if somebody says something mean to my character, I get offended. Um, and I'm wondering if that, like, if that plays into this at all, which, which is, like, if you, if you are being prescribed an emotion, do you feel that affects your, your play experience or, at all? Or are you all just more emotionally uh, mature? <laughs> Listen, bleed is great and real and just lean into that. Just find the games that encourage you to bleed safely. Um, I do not experience a lot of emotions playing games. That's not wholly true, but like, I... It's one of those things where I'm like, well, I've had a lot of games where I felt really angry about them, but I think that was like really legitimate anger. <laughs> so like, it's not, <laughs> and not to say that all anger isn't legitimate, but like when I think about those moments where I've been really frustrated in play, it's like because people are being bad to other people at the table, right? Like because people are kind of breaking the social contract of gameplay, not because something's happening in, in the fiction or yeah. in game and so like that feels like a different thing right like because that to me is that's not bleed <laughs> like you a human person are speaking to me in a way that i don't appreciate being spoken to or whatever and that's not bleed uh you may think that that's allowed because of the conditions of the game but it's not um it's very different than like oh my pair my character is having this like cute romantic moment and i also am feeling a little romantic or whatever right which i think is like one of the harder areas of bleed for people to deal with. Um, but I don't tend to often feel much, which is why, I mean, I play mostly like comedy fun games. And so I wouldn't say there's a lot of like serious or somber or deeply emotional moments in a lot of the games that I play. Um, so I'm also not one of those people that like has found gameplay to be like a transformative experience, which I know a lot of people do, um, especially those who talk about bleed. Um, and like, especially a lot of trans folk who like, you know, experiment with gender in the, the safety of game space and then uh, exit that game space and are like, oh, that felt... I felt nice. I'm going to do that more. Um, so I don't. And so I feel like sometimes I have, I like, I really oscillate on games that like ask you to, or like mechanize any kind of emotional entanglement because sometimes it's really nice for me to have that like motivation because it's not going to just like come naturally. Like I'm not having the, the same emotional reaction and therefore I'm not, I'm not always like, thinking in character in that way um but also because i'm not having it i'm also like that's a weird emotion i don't know what that's like or whatever right like i don't <laughs> i don't know what that means 
Uh, I sound like a robot, but I'm not a robot. I just, <laughs> just in No, you just don't have emotions. That's I cool. Just, yeah, I just totally am emotionless. I'm not, I'm, I'm a, I'm an overly emotional, sad human, but also my emotions are, uh, it depends on the day of the week because of testosterone. So on Thursday and Friday, I'm very emotional. <laughs> just a heads up. Don't, don't speak to me on Thursday and Friday. <laughs> Uh, but I have this like inherent distrust of my own emotional spectrum because of that. Like one of the side effects of hormones for me has been that like I experience a lot of emotions that are quite disingenuous or quite removed from my actual experience because my hormones are fluctuating a bit more than the average person is generally experiencing. Yeah, you um, mark a condition, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> toxic. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. That was a long, it was a long thought process about it. Um, I think, I mean, I will say, even removed from talking about like bleed or being led to feel something, I think there is something nice about if you're playing a game and you're told you can do anything. I think some people are like, oh, I don't know how to navigate that space of I can do anything. I can't choose. And then when they're told, oh, you can do like these three things, they go, oh, that feels a lot better. And so I do think there's something to be said for when you pick a playbook, there is a nice little menu of emotions and you can go, okay, these are kind of the things that will motivate my character. This is a toolbox of reactions for this character. And if I want to do something different, I can, but I can always fall back on these as, you know, good choices that will move the character in the direction that they're like built to operate in. And so I like that. I, I, I hope we're not coming down on the side of don't tell me how to feel, keep those mechanics <laughs> out of our games or anything like that. Um, yeah. I'm, I think it's just a different tool set, right? Like I don't think it, I don't think it makes any sense to try and defend like, Oh, I know how to imagine being a spellcaster, but I don't know how to imagine being somebody ruled by anger. You know, like it's just like that's stupid. This is you, th these are all fictional frames, and like, and I I think because we're so used to one set of tools and one set of of lenses from which we access play, sometimes we have a hard time with something that's like totally different than that. And I feel like the way like when I do like it and when it is kind of fun and when I can get into the mood for it, it is like, this is just a framing for how this character relates to the world and how they're going to, to experience conflict or how they're going to react to difficulty or whatever. The same as any kind of tool set in any game or any kind of stats or any kind of equipment. Like it is kind of the same for me. And yeah. maybe, I don't know, maybe that's more robotic. I don't know if that's a weird thing to say, but like it is this fictional space. Right. And so like saying this character has these like emotional triggers or whatever is not, doesn't feel functionally different for me than any other set of characteristics that we yeah. add to a player. While recognizing that the the singular difference might be the increased chance of bleed, I think probably if you have feelings, yeah, if yeah, yeah, if yeah. your real You're life inventory people. contains those options, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I did want to point out before I forget, each playbook has like a two page spread of kind of how to play this character or what might motivate this character or how to thoughtfully engage with the mechanics 
so that you're not going against the grain on them. And they're all really well done. Um, they're super considerate. It I goes think back it's to like what Eric yeah, was like there there have been human. <laughs> there have been fantasy games that are like you know uh, play a barbarian if you want to rush into danger, have these considerations, and I love that. I think it's so helpful to people that are maybe not as familiar with how the game is expected to run or the tropes of the the genre, and I always appreciate that. Um, I think this does it great without kind of pigeonholing the options or saying you will always feel this, but just like clearly explaining, here's the intention of this playbook, here's what a lot of the mechanics build toward, here's how to lean into that if you want, here are some potential inspirations in other media. Um, that stuff is so good, and all of the kind of advice on running mysteries and the pre-constructed mysteries um, I think a lot of that stuff is often what we sort of glaze over when we're reading these books. Here, as we said at the start, it's good stuff. You can skip it, I guess. I mean, you can skip anything. You actually don't even have to open this book. We can't make you do that. But I would recommend you open this book, and I would recommend you read that stuff and keep in mind that I think it's some of the best examples of Here's what to consider when you're constructing this part of the game. Here's an example. Here is why this example is the way it is. Um, here are some ways to change it if you have these considerations. It's, it's great. It's good. Yeah, I think those are really... I feel like... I, I mean, this is the thing, right? It's like I have a hard time reading books this long because I, I don't play games that invest this much in them, right? Like that is... That is just the reality of the way that I play. I don't play two-year-long campaigns with the same characters, with the same people once a month. I don't play, hell, I don't play six-month-long campaigns. And so there is an investment that is being asked by a game like this that is very deep. And I think that is not a bad thing, even if that is usually not how I end up playing. It's not even that I wouldn't. It's like, there's just not, my life does not function in a way that facilitates that. And I feel like the, the thing about this one, that's a little different from a lot of games is that it knows, or I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Ray knows that he's asking for a big investment. And so wrote as much as humanly possible in the book to help assist <laughs> that, like that investment and help reward that investment. Cause it is not a small undertaking i feel well, Max, there's can i also point you to the chapter apocalypse abbreviated which I'm is not about convinced. running one shot i know and... i'm not convinced by that i was gonna say that i'm Whoa! not convinced by that one uh i'm not saying that people can't uh and i but i think like to me that would come after i'd already played the game a bunch mm. like i'm or like I, somebody who has gm'd it a bunch like i don't i think it would be hard to start there because there's so much that I think, like, I think this game, I think this is true of all games, this is not just about this game, but, like, bigger games for me require an allowance of multiple sessions to figure out how the game works and how it shines, which I don't think you can figure out in a single session with really big games. And I think it does a disservice to those games to try and pretend that you can. And so I think you could one-shot it in the future, <laughs> once you know how it works. Um, I think you're 100% right. Like, even with a four-part, you know, mystery, 
uh, just having that familiarity with the system is going to be so much more useful. And, and if you're if you've had like you know twenty sessions with it, like I don't think you could you could keep this under five hours if you were just doing a four part mystery and it was your first time reading it because there's just so much stuff going on. Even character creation, like character creation, is a right. whole session. Like this isn't like you gotta have all those conversations. You gotta figure all that stuff out. Like it's, I think it like, yeah. That, that feels like something that we expect of a game and so is included, as opposed to, like, this is how this game shines. Because I feel like this game probably shines the deeper you go into it. And I think that, like, I want I wish there was more game space to commit to five to six sessions to, to figure out what a game is, you know? Because I, myself, I'm like, oh, I want to try this game. Let's run a one-shot or whatever, because that's what I can, like, organize and figure out. And usually I think that does a lot of games a disservice of, like, still, like, experiencing all the growing pains uh, of said game. Um, and I feel like this game would probably be pretty fun to, like, open book it, you know? To, like, have a, have a do your first mystery and be like, okay, we're all going to figure this out together. So I'm a new keeper and I'm going to be like, I don't actually know what happens in this moment. Help me out, guys. I want to read a thing out loud. Figure out. Let me help me figure out how to, like, enact this piece of advice or whatever. <laughs> like, embody you know, this think, wisdom. I think because Apocalypse Keys is written in such a way that, like, it is all out on the table, like, Najati's design choices and intentions are so explicit in the text. I think it really would benefit from like an open book reading, just like, okay, well, the author is telling us exactly what he wanted out of this. So <laughs> uh, perfect. Yeah, let's keep going. It's also like, because it comes with so many like pre-written mysteries, I think you probably can do that really easily. Like, and this is what the mystery says happens here, right? Like, oh, I'm supposed to pull on, because mysteries have a lot of elements and they're very, um, they're very structured in their design, right? And and they have a number of moving parts, but like even down to, you know, there's this doomsday clock ticking in the background that is kind of indicating that the harbinger, harbinger of note, note is going to get to the door before you do if it goes all the way through. But, and each, each time it ticks, every mystery that's in this book has like a suggested scene, like a suggested moment or a suggested element that you could present that, that, communicates that 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 something's getting worse um which i feel like would be very like it, it would really support you if you're like oh i i don't i don't know what to do but i'm just gonna read directly from the book i'm gonna read this thing directly this moment <laughs> directly from the book uh i'm gonna try and put on a weird voice so that it's <laughs> it hits home or whatever um which i think is helpful this is kind of how i feel about some we've talked about this in the past but like some read aloud text where when it's well written and it's short and snappy, it can really help like people figure out how you might describe a room or whatever. Um, and so having that example of like, oh, the doomsday clock ticks and I get whatever one of these elements. Uh, I'm not on the page, but, you know, a cool scene. Um, a moment, an intrigue, an event, and another moment. That's what this one. So like it ticks and I get this brackish water begins to seep through everything. Like I don't need to think about that. And that's kind of nice. Uh, I don't even know which one that is. I was looking for something else, but I just flipped. There was a move that I thought was cool and I'm trying uh, to find it. But Along these lines, while you look, I will vamp for you. Along these lines, another thing I like about this game is that each playbook has impulses and it's how they gain XP during a session. 
and it's kind of a list of, of, of questions or statements like, uh, I'm seeking a truth to what happened to my lost people. And at the start of each session, each player picks one of those to say, like, here's how I would like to gain experience this session and what I would like to focus on. And one, I like that it's made explicit, but two, I like that there are a bunch of options. So many uh, games are like, you know, if you're a barbarian, you get experience points by rushing in. And instead of just kind of pigeonholing the playbooks that way, you get a few, a few flavors. Again, a menu. I keep thinking of this as like, you can pick and choose. You can pick one and you can switch to another if you're not feeling that first one. Um, it's great. You know, the impulses are... I actually built a lot of that essay that I did around the impulses because I do feel like they, they tie into what I feel is a big theme in Apocalypse Keys, which is desperation to be be accepted by you know, a community or a society or, or something like, um, this is from the fallen, but one of their impulses is like, um, did you humiliate yourself for the intimacy you crave? Um, <laughs> which is like, Hey, so rude. <laughs> hey, what the fuck? <laughs> Extremely rude. But it's so good. Like it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Such an attack. Oh dear. Yeah. I feel like, as you're saying that, because uh, there was some part of me that as I was reading it, I think like part of this is like it being sadness, but there was a part of it that like wasn't fully resonating with me. And I think it's because I wasn't formerly Catholic. No, um, and, and I mean that like somewhat, somewhat not jokingly, like it, I can, I feel warm and snuggled. I can see all the, the like ripe emotional play space of the game uh and i was like why what is not hitting for me and i think it is that element because that's not like something i connect to like i was raised with this very clear if they don't like you fuck them like if they don't respect you there's no reason to listen to their opinion this is the like singular life motto my mom really hammered in um which is a very good life motto, right? Like, if people don't respect you, don't listen to their opinions is, like, a really great way to work walk through the world. But it kind of does, like, I feel, like, disconnected from that, oh, I really want to, uh, I want to fit in, I want to be accepted, I want whatever. Um, it's, this isn't about this game. This is also, like, I don't feel hugely connected to large swaths of the queer community for that reason. Like, I don't care about acceptance. It's not, like, I care about respect and not dying, but, like, I don't really care what you think of me. Um, and... Uh, and so like those, like, I think I need those emotional touch bones and those impulses and, and all those cues mechanically in order to really like get into that mindset of what it's like to be like constantly desiring of that acceptance. Um, and a big main difference also is that you lack the ability to destroy the world if you <laughs> feel bad. I mean, so far. <laughs> Maybe I've right. just been really nice. Maybe I'm just Could rolling be. real good. Your, living your in that parents nine also zone. taught you to not destroy the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, my mom, I'm, to be honest, my mom tried to teach I me mean, to destroy the world. <laughs> but, this, like, but you are not an Apocalypse Keys character, you know? Like, Yes, yeah, yeah. Yet. Right. The, the right. funniest parallel for me is that like a lot of this feels like a parallel for masculinity more than... 
which is which is hilarious because the book is so apparently about marginalization, right? Like that is the the center point of this whole game is marginalization. But the so much of the 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 harming people without meaning it is the parallel in my life is definitely masculinity. Right. And like maybe it comes just, from having great power. Yeah. And like that you're not always aware of or you're not always consciously exercising or whatever, right? But is still very potent and harmful without you necessarily intending it to be that. Um, and so that feels very like, I don't know, that felt like a thing that kept coming up for me is that a lot of this feels like uh, masculinity, which could just, you know, could also be put for wealth or whiteness or whatever, right? Like, I think there's a lot of different parallels that, which is like a really interesting, like, this is a super, I feel like it's a very deep read of the book of like, oh, it's all these marginalized characters that are then tackling this force that could potentially be privilege. <laughs> like, that's because that's what, like, power, you know, like when you're getting into the conversations about power, it's this really like interesting potential parallel for the world and kind of keeping those those harmful structures of power at bay um i don't know it's deep it's a deep and meaningful book is what i'm saying <laughs> i i mean max it, it's interesting that you say that because like you know as as a set who doesn't really examine their masculinity you know my my read on this was was sin right the the, the unintentional you know harm you're doing to other people right you know, I, I read that through a lens of like, oh, you you are hurting God with your actions, even though you didn't know you could do that. Which is a fun part about Catholicism is that you can you can hurt, you can hurt God's feelings and um, you can uh, damn yourself to hell, and you don't even realize it. I mean, uh, once you once you hit that seven year year old threshold, uh, all bets are off. <laughs> um, you can you can go to hell, and it is you know you're, you're fucking done, kid. It's like it's uh, like your credit score in Canada. If you if you run away from a credit card in Canada for seven years, they can't tell you shit anymore. <laughs> that seven year window where your debt's really bad, uh, and then freedom. I think it's the opposite of that. Yeah, and that's interesting to me because I'm like, that is so not my experience, right? Like, I'm like, who? you cannot hurt God. If he created the earth, you can't hurt him. Even if you did believe he created the earth, you can't hurt him. Nothing you do impacts him whatsoever. Um, I, and the, it's like me criticizing d You can hurt God in that he's sad that he's going to have to send you to hell. Uh, he'll feel bad about it, but you'll still fucking burn. <laughs> No, sounds sounds like sounds like a toxic thought. Uh, the yeah, and that's funny because that's not at all like that's just so not at all how I read it. But I don't. I think that's like that's the interesting space of games that are trying to say something, right? Like games that are trying to be personal and trying to say something. Like it is a testament to the book that people can read it from so many different lived experiences and have connection to it. Because that is, whether or not that a connection is an appealing element, right? Like whether or not that's a draw for playing it is a totally different question. But 99% of the games I read, I read and I'm like, oh God, I don't relate to any, some dude wrote this, Jesus Christ. You know, like there's always a disappointment. There's more often than not a disappointment of not being able to like connect your lived experience to these game books. And I think that like, this it doesn't surprise me that this book has many different access points that it could be metaphorically connected to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's good stuff. Hurt, hurt God. Have emotions. <laughs> uh, 
strongly recommend. Also, just like emotions in general is that it's interesting because um, I Aaron the first. <laughs> you say that you don't often you don't often pick up games that like mechanize emotional spectrum stuff, but I but you've mentioned a couple of times that one of your favorite games is The Veil, or it's a game you really like. Yes, I, but the, so that. the veil has players choose their emotions. Mm-hmm. I did think about this um, instead of, I mean, some roles can also mess with the emotions, but for the most part, it is the player balancing their own emotions instead of I rolled poorly. I'm now feeling something. Um, but also again, like I don't seek them out a lot but I like reading them and I like knowing that I have the option to play them. And, you know, I would, I'm sure someday I'll be like, I actually want to write a game about that. That dictates emotions in that way. It feels very on your shit. So it's like, I feel, I will be unsurprised is what I'm saying when you decide to write your feelings game. Yeah, but I also, I also really like, you know, also I usually am running games and I'm already dictating so much of what happens that my instinct or my default is to leave character feelings up to the players because I'm already telling them so much. I want to declaim decision-making over characters as much as possible. Yeah. I think it would hit different if it was like the keeper often tells you what your emotional spectrum is as opposed to like you roll and your character kind of leans into their worst behaviors or whatever, you know, like they're, cause it is, there is still a, a, to me, there's still quite a bit of like player autonomy in there. It's not like the keeper being like, you feel heartbroken. It's like, Oh no. What's, what is the way in which you lean into your baser nature or whatever, or something toxic within yourself or whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm very curious to see how the the playing of it will go. Uh, do you have do you have favorite do we have favorite highlights? I've already highlighted <laughs> all I've talked about is all this stuff I like about this book. I just I can't believe that you are not going to bring up the hungry worm. The hungry worm? Did you skip the hungry worm? Did you? I don't. I don't the think I skipped it, but it's also you know. Is, is one of the people of interest in uh, Josh Hitty's mystery. Shout out to Josh for the for the fucking the hungry worm, a parasite's parasite. Long oh yes, yes, the, in the little rope. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a great. Uh, once you said a parasite's parasite, which is a great phrase. Just the phrase the of image, parasite's parasite. The image popped it. This robed, gooey worm. Uh, yeah, of course I love the hungry worm. I'm also hungry. I, <laughs> Aaron missed this, and maybe the audience context. I just got done with work, but I'm still at work <laughs> recording this. <laughs> and so I have not had dinner, so I am also the hungry worm right now. So I am like a little distracted, a little eye on the clock. You're going to have to change your Discord name now to Aaron Worm King. <laughs> yes. Uh, what I like about the hungry worm, besides the phrase, a parasite's parasite, which I do think is a like, all-time phrase uh hungry worm or just worm as he first introduces himself to the pcs (laughs) please call me worm hungry worm is my father like what is this 
Hungry worm is me. Hungry worm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you've made me mark my condition. I am now hungry. (laughs) I am. I am horny. I am horny for for the hungry worm. (laughs) The horny worm is a different adventure. It's a different worm. It's a different adventure altogether. Yeah, I feel like there. I don't know. I feel like there's so much in here. One of the big things for me was that the the so much of this book is like apparently personal but also cultural right and i think that that's like part of part of its power even just in like the mysteries the mysteries are um some written by ray and some written by other folks and they they one of them has i didn't again the the skim brain didn't get to all of them but one of them has this whole section at the end that is about like contextualizing some of the touch points of the mystery and the inspiration of the mysteries in real world history and contemporary culture of where it takes place and i think that should be in every fucking book everywhere yeah that's the one that's set in um new mexico right yeah albuquerque yeah yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, there are little sections at the end about the real-life inspirations, um, the the way that Netflix fucked Albuquerque, uh, the way that uh, unhoused people there are, are struggling and adapting. Uh, it's really good. I keep saying that. That's the third time I've said, it's really good. <laughs> but, you know, I like this book. I think it's just, like, it's interesting because it really takes, like... It would like we all, all of us who make games and all of us who write games pull from our lived experiences for the most part for a lot of our game inspiration. And I think to like put it front and center, not only does it do a nice thing where you get to experience like different forms of inspiration uh, and different like, you know, myths and folk tales uh, and belief structures and all of that stuff, which is kind of like one of the wonderful things about engaging with media written by people who are not you. Um, But it also is this like really good teaching moment that I just wish was more present. (laughs) I wish there was more, and maybe this is like a weird thing to say, but like, I wish there was a little bit more like, Ha ha ha, you thought you were playing a game? Now it's time for an important lesson on racism. Like this, you know, it's this, it's, it's, because I think it's like a really effective way to educate people, right? Because it's, it's, because a lot of people bounce off or won't go searching for it of their own accord. And so I feel like it's a really like clever and compelling and engaging way to like share different experiences and different realities, some of which are not great Netflix uh and then putting that in this context where we're like actually interacting with it in in more of a way than like reading than just reading something in a book or i don't know just watching a movie or whatever um it just struck me as like a really interesting thing that i for sure have never seen in another game book ever um that i really enjoyed it was nice book good but good. I do have to go soon for real. Yeah. Do we, Aaron, did you want to highlight anything? Uh, I just wanted to say that there's a bit, one of the, um, the darkness calls, um, various characters to do stuff. And one of the ones was, um, awaken the Leviathans in space, uh, in the lost. And I was immediately like, ah, this is an Aaron King, um, <laughs> whales ate my parents thing. 
So <laughs> please, Ray, tell us if you were inspired by Whales Ate My Parents. No, it's from it's from Hellboy. There's giant worms in space in Hellboy. I know. Speaking of, it's time for Appendix Now, where we suggest a piece of media that vibes with this. Well, we can't say Hellboy. So. Max is listed first. I'll say uh-huh. Hellboy. I'll say it right now. I'll go first. Uh, you should read Hellboy by Mike Mignola, but do not start at the beginning. If you feel like you have to start at the start beginning the of something, beginning. get out of here. Get over yourself. Learn that the starts is always the worst part of something. Think of how many terrible pilots there are in TV shows. As the Princess Irulan says in Dune, a beginning is a very delicate time, so you should just skip it. If you want to read Hellboy, read Volume 2, Wake the Devil, Volume 3, The Chained Coffin, and Others, or Volume 4, The Right Hand of Doom. They're all collections of stort short, short stories. Stort shories. <laughs> stort shories. Um, stort shory is my character in this game. Um, yeah, go read them. Mike Mignola is a fantastic artist. Uh, they're fun. Some of them are very sad. Some of them are very funny. There's space leviathans in weird gemstones. There's a lot of killing Nazis. There's yeah, you bunch of Nazis topic. get punched out. Yeah, shot. There's a lot of killing Nazis. I only read them recently. I'm new. I'm new to the Hellboy franchise. I'm well. I'm not new to the movies. The movies are great. Um, shout out Selma Blair, which I realize is not who everybody thinks of when they think of the movies, but I will forever shout out Selma Blair uh, because she's neat and i was born in the 80s so her brand of comedy and being popular is a part of my youth yeah i'm gonna try and think of something because i feel like it was so heavily hellboy that i don't i don't read a lot of supernatural like super it's it's not superhero but it's like superhero adjacent is there a term for that comic nerd it's there's there is a superhero nest to it and there is a horrorness and a fantasiness. That's the opposite of a term. <laughs> exactly. I despise <laughs> your terms. I reject needing a term for it. It just is. It, sometimes it would be. Sometimes it's nice to be like, yeah, exactly that fucking thing. Yeah. I mean, I I have been reading Berserk, and Berserk is great, and doesn't totally isn't totally off. But that, if you want the toxic masculinity version, go for Berserk. If you want, I don't know how to control my man feelings. Uh, watch any piece of media, really. Just engage in media in the world and you can't, you can't not come across. I don't know how to control my man feelings and they're hurting everybody around me. It makes me feel bad. Uh, yeah. Aaron, do you have a, a vibe check? Yeah. Um, I, if you like the concept of like, uh, I have a secret power inside me that if I unleash it, it'll obliterate the world. Um, I really recommend the Poppy War trilogy by R.F. Kuang. Oh yeah. Um, they're so good. uh, Yeah. They own R.F. Kuang's probably my favorite author. Um, but you know, it's a retelling of the Sino-Japanese war, uh, in World War II, but except the, um, there's shamans that get their superpowers from getting high. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend those books. They're they're some of my favorites. I read Babel this year, and it is 
So good. It's unrelated to this podcast, but you should read that also. Well, I am making an essay about Babel and Spire, which will hopefully come out next month. Great. Oh, yes. Tell people before we go where they can find that. Um, That's at youtube.com slash AA Voight, where I do a lot of video or not video games. I do video essays about tabletop games, and I think they're good. And you also have a podcast. I have two podcasts. Oh, you're right, right. I have a lot of projects. Yeah. <laughs> One of them is at The Bible Boys. That's where me and my ex-evangelical friends, uh, their ex-evangelical friends and their siblings, uh, talk about Christian media. Um, probably our most famous episodes go through the God's Not Dead uh, quadrilogy at this point, um, which I love <laughs> almost almost is ironically the, is that the kevin sorbo one? Oh yeah yeah oh yeah um and then i do another friend with my friend layla that's at uh, mortified pod where we just talk about uh various media that we think we like um we just talked about um die hard which i had never seen before uh what a time to be alive what a time yeah. to be alive. just your first die hard witnessing yeah you know uh, you, you ever heard of this guy uh <laughs> Uh, what's his name? Not Bruce Willis. The other Alan guy, Ri- Alan, Alan Rickman. Rickman. You heard of this kid? He, he's he's a handsome looking dude. He Alan blows Rick- up the LAPD. He Alan rules. Rickman owns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Die Hard, but it is it is one of my Christmas movies. I am of the age where Die Hard is a Christmas movie for me. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, watch. Listen to your Apocalypse Keys essay, which I have not done yet, but I'm going to do. And also play this game. Everyone go do that, and then you can talk to us about it in our Discord. Link in the show notes. You can go to patreon.com slash rtfmcast if you want to help us fund the printing of our next zine, which is about magic swords. It is about magic swords. Uh, And also, I think our Patreon's where it's at. P.S. Because that's where you get access to Zine Club. Zine that, Club is there. Zine Club uh, is the best. Zine future Club episodes of the No Promises is going to be there. I just ran session four of the game. Um, if you haven't listened to No Promises, it's my like campaign planning. I might. I might. Don't hold me to this. I like to say things on this podcast. You might listen to my solo podcast, no, RTFM. I'm, no promises. I have not listened to your solo podcast. <laughs> um, I don't listen to podcasts. Anyway, I was listening to SF Ultra today. No, um, I, <laughs> the no, I might, I might sledgehammer this game. I am which game? Apocalypse Keys. Oh, I am tempted to sledgehammer Apocalypse Keys, and I <laughs> might put it on the Patreon. I'm gonna sledge those emotions. Yeah. And really bash them in so that they're. You only need five. Yeah. You can only have two. Uh, on and off is the emotional spectrum of the sledgehammer. Apocalypse. As in turned on and turned off. Exactly. Exactly. All right. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we're getting dumb here. Uh, it's because I'm a hungry worm. Next time on RTS, shout out to all my hungry worm friends. They're in my tummy. Uh, I'm going to get some Wendy's spicy nuggets on the way home. Next time on RTFM, I think is The Witcher? It is The Witcher. With longtime friend of the pod, Sean. I'm going to podcast from the tub, which is all I know about The Witcher, is that he lays in a tub.
He also has sex on a unicorn. You should podcast while having sex on a unicorn. I have. I used to ride horses. Did, have I told you? But I've told. I've talked about this on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where that's going. I sure. fell off a horse because I was playing accordion on horseback. I thought you were going to say playing something else, but that's great. Accordion is wonderful. I'm glad. That you, how have we never touched the fact that you play accordion? Next time have. on RTFM, I talk about the falling Witcher, off a horse. The Witcher from the bath. Sean will be joining us from Scotland. We're going to talk about TV shows, and Aaron's going to be fed up with Sean and I geeking out. All right. Hungry Worm out. <laughs>